0: I have to ask you, the initial ruling from Judge Sue Robinson made a very specific point of saying that your lack of remorse played into her decision making. It's been a part of the narrative surrounding you. What is your response to that? Look, I want to say that I'm truly sorry to all the women that I've impacted in this situation. Um, My decisions that I made and my life that put me in this position, um, you know, I I would definitely like to have back but I want to continue to move forward and grow and learn and, and show that, you know, I am a a true person of, of character and I want to keep pushing forward. Hmm. Hmm. Doesn't sound very remorseful. If you ask me after she just said, Hey, the judge already said, you don't sound very remorseful. That's Deshaun Watson, the new quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, who's going to be suspended for 11 games this year, the first 11 games. And, uh, Yeah, that's what I'm going to talk about in this podcast. But not just Deshaun Watson. I want to talk about sports in general. But first, I want to thank everybody for listening here to the Check Your Brain podcast, wherever you are listening to this. Whether it's on Patreon, it's going to go out on Monday. The uh, what the heck date is it? Uh, The 29th. So on uh, Monday, the 29th, this is going to go out uh, for on Patreon and then for free wherever you get your podcasts on the 31st of august so i thank you for listening and if you're listening for free you can go to my patreon at patreon.com slash tony mazur t-o-n-y m-a-z-u-r you get up to four to five podcasts per week for just five bucks a month how about that so if you like my point of view you, you think i have a little bit of a refreshing or different perspective and you have five bucks a month and you know it doesn't really add up too badly You can go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazer and sign up for extra podcasts for the Check Your Brain podcast, but this one is going out for free, and I I wanted to for many reasons here, and I want to talk a little bit about not just Deshaun Watson, not just football, but my waning love for professional sports, even college sports too, actually, and one thing I was kind of noticing in the last couple of years about how I feel about this, so for folks who are listening to me for the first time, you stumbled upon me. I am a—I've uh, been in radio now for a little over fifteen years, and uh, radio or some kind of media, because I did some blogging, I did some writing, and for different publications as well. And I covered a lot of teams, so I have a—you know—I have like this odd balancing act of a perspective of when I look at pro sports. So. I have a lot of friends who work blue collar jobs. In fact, right now I work a blue collar job. And I have the perspective of somebody who has been in locker rooms, has talked to players, has been around big moments, small moments, um, you know, managers, general managers, owners of teams. Uh, A lot of this, I've had a lot of some great discussions and interactions, some not so great, some kind of, you know, so-so or forgettable interactions. And you don't realize how when somebody who is the same age as me in their 30s is going to look at pro sports, they're going to look at it much differently than I am. And I, as I use the cliche, have seen how the sausage is made. And this is why it bothers me. A little bit why I don't appreciate and don't enjoy sports like I used to. So this has been going on for a number of years, but I think the COVID pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns and then season delays really kind of put the the nail in the coffin for me when it came to pro sports. So just give you a little background on me before I get to how my feelings. So I was a longtime sports fan, grew up in the Cleveland area in the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio. So of course it was Browns Cavs, and uh, the team once known as the Cleveland Indians, the baseball team. And uh, when I was a young kid, the Cleveland Browns left art Modell moved the team to Baltimore. And I said, Hey, I'm going to be a fan of a team. That's not going anywhere. Uh, You know, like the Houston Oilers. And of course they leave the next year. So it was me as soon as I'm really falling into football. The team's going to leave. So two straight years, my, the team I liked. And the only and the reason I liked the Oilers, I, of course, I love those baby blue jerseys, but I loved Steve McNair. I loved Frank Wycheck and um, uh, Eddie George because he was an Ohio State guy, and I liked Ohio State at the time. And it was uh yeah I was a big fan of them in those days and of course the 1990s Cleveland Indians with Albert Bell Kenny Lofton Manny Ramirez Omar Vizquel Carlos Bayerga, they were great and uh and, and the Cavs weren't really much of anything this was after the uh, Larry Nance Mark Price Brad Doherty years but uh, there were some not really moments it was like that weird transition period between the Price years that ended around like 94 95. To when LeBron James was drafted in 2009. So that's what I grew up with. And then, of course, national TV. and you'd say The Cowboys were really good at the time. The Yankees, the Chicago Bulls. And I-, I had this love for sports that was just unquestioned. It was unparalleled how much I loved sports. How I, I couldn't wait when my dad would take me to the trading card store. And I have... I think probably from about 1991 to 1997, I have so many FLIR, TOPS, um, You know, I'm trying to think of the other, uh, upper deck baseball cards. And I knew every player, all the stats, everything, especially baseball, but football as well, and basketball, I knew. And then when video came, games came around, I knew all the players. It was great. I don't have that love anymore. And I don't know if it's because I ended up, when I was 19, joined the media and started covering sports teams. And I, I my first game I ever covered that I have, a, I have a credential for, I still have it somewhere, 15 years ago, it was Lakers-Cavaliers, LeBron versus Kobe. And the Cavs ended up winning that game. And it was kind of cool being a part of that. But even when I got to about 19, I started seeing the changeover where these are not just... Uh, you know, otherworldly athletes that I'm looking at. These are guys who have talent and a better job and make more money than me. And you start to just, as as you get to notice that, it's like when you say, uh, like, are you ever starstruck by somebody? You go, eh? it's kind of hard to be starstruck when you're standing next to them all the time in a locker room. And there were a lot of times where I would be in the Cavaliers locker room in, you know, in LeBron's first time with the Cavs before he left for, for Miami, he took his talents to South Beach. And I'm standing there in the locker room and LeBron James is next to me getting dressed or undressed. There was one time he did, there was a towel that dropped next to me and I'm like, do I, do I look? <laughs> but it was one of those cases where it's like, oh, LeBron James is naked next to me arguably the the most talented player in basketball since Michael Jordan and one of the greatest uh, top five player of all time is standing next to me and I'm like oh LeBron's next to me and he just you kind of get over you have to get over that quick if you don't this really is not the right media was not the right business for you you just got you just got to plow through it um but it was uh um, it's kind of interesting when I went back in time and Seeing the uh, Lebron actually win his first MVP trophy. It's
1: been quite a year.
0: It started with the Olympics. It, it ends with your team in the playoffs for the fourth year, the best record in the league, and led by these fans. Led by these fans. Some might call them the difference. You have led your team, but always thought team first. So congratulations to LeBron James, the 2008-2009 NBA Most Valuable Player. And I was there for that. I saw that. That was a cool moment. And it was like, wow, that's cool. I'm actually at a significant event. A lot of my friends went to World Series games as kids, like, oh, we were at uh, Game 5 of the 1997 World Series, the Indians and Marlins, and that was the game. And you go, yeah, I never really went to a significant game. I think I went to a game, my first ever game was uh, Charles Nagy was facing Ron Darling, and uh, yeah, it was against the Oakland A's, and I don't really remember that too much of where I would look into uh, the center field area at the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium, and they had the big Marlboro man on the scoreboard and Slider, the stupid mascot that's still around. I didn't really remember that too much. It was over 30 years ago now. But uh, being a fan as a kid, and then you get older, do you keep that? Are you still as much of a fan or even a bigger fan? My cat's hurt, running around, being all ornery today um are, are you a bigger fan as an adult because you can afford to go to those games or you're like yeah it, it's not the same anymore now for me it's it's multiple reasons why it's not the same um because not only do i see the sausage being made in the locker room and not you know that's not a euphemism i'm saying that well it it's a figure of speech but not a euphemism I, uh, you know, I, I, I've been around. I've seen a lot of that. I've talked to a lot of athletes. Um, actually, the nice, the two nicest people I ever spoke to in a locker room, one of them was Grant Hill, super, super nice dude, and the other one, and you will not believe this, was Ray Rice. Oh yeah, Ray Rice. You know, the guy dragging the woman out of the elevator in Atlantic City, Ken Mosca, just dragging her out of the elevator. Two years earlier, I'm talking to him in the Ravens locker room, and he was like a really nice guy, just like super cool. Shook hands, and um, biggest jerk was also in that same locker room about five minutes earlier, and that was Ed Reed. Ed Reed, just that you know, screw him. I'm gonna try not to curse on this podcast today, but what's interesting. You know, it was like, okay, those were cool opportunities. And, uh, you know, I've been in locker rooms with Jim Leland, who's my favorite manager to cover by far. Ron Gardenhire was fun. Uh, Don Mattingly. Um, As far as coaches in the NBA, Stan Van Gundy. I talked to Kevin McHale, who's, oh, my God. You want to talk about horrible breath. If you remember what Lunchables tastes like, well, leave Lunchables out for a few days, and that's what his breath smelled like. He was the, he was coaching the Timberwolves at the time, just horrible breath. But yeah, him Stan Van Gundy was cool. Um, I'm trying to think of, I like you think about that time from like 2007 to 20, yeah, about 2019. And I, I've been in locker rooms. I was I have a picture next to uh, Peyton Manning, uh, Tom Brady. Remember Deflate Gate and Tom Brady was suspended for a few games. Well, his first game back was in Cleveland, and I was in the locker room there. When they are all having their conversation with Tom Brady, their first real opportunity to see him after a game. Um, you know, I, I've been in a urinal next to Jim Brown, for God's sake, and Bob Feller, so many classic athletes and everything. And it's a cool opportunity. And I realized something. Everything I'm mentioning are people from the past, but not the present. I couldn't care less about today's sports. Now, why? Why is that? I have not watched today's MLB. Apparently, right now this week, I guess what Aaron Judge is probably going to hit his 50th home run, which and it, it's not even Labor Labor Day yet. I don't care. Haven't watched. I haven't watched one Yankee game. I went to one baseball game, a Guardians game, went to see the Cleveland Guardians, and that was because I had a free ticket and it was like a rehearsal dinner, a dollar hot dog and Christmas ale night at the stadium but I'm not willingly going out of my way to go see a Cleveland Guardians or any real baseball game. I don't care that much. I don't know if you folks feel the same way, but looking at the ratings in baseball, basketball, you know, football, football's different because the NFL and college football is usually, it's it's one day a week. Now, we all know it's there's also Thursday night football. There's sometimes Sunday, Saturday night football. Of course, you have the Sunday night games, Monday nights, and then college football, they're just it's like every night there's a different college game. Since when, when are college games on Tuesdays? So it's kind of, we're really spreading it thin, and people don't really care about the smaller games unless you actually went to those schools. So my love of sports is just it's not what it used to be. And I don't know if that's because I've been in the media with my perspective or I just don't enjoy them as much. And... One of the reasons I don't enjoy them... Let's take basketball, for example. Used to love basketball. And I'm going to take the politics out of it for a second. Why don't I like basketball right now? Well, it's the same reason former Cavaliers play-by-play man Joe Tate stopped liking basketball. That even though he covered the team and he would do play-by-play for a number of years after, he didn't enjoy it as much. He, He felt that the selfishness of the league... Um, the, the money that guys were making. I mean, for God's sake, everybody was getting shoe deals to the point where Stephon Marbury, where in, in Stephon Marbury's peak, when he was playing with, I, I would assume, New Jersey, when he was at the New Jersey Nets or Phoenix Suns, Stephon Marbury was a pretty good player, fringe all-star or, or full-on all-star, but he had a shoe deal. He was probably the 15th best player in the league and had a shoe deal. Everybody else had a shoe deal. I think Steve Francis had a shoe deal. I had a pair of Hakeem Olajuwon shoes that they sold at Payless. I'm not kidding. Um, with Air Pippins. I had Rodman shoes. I had Dennis Rodman Converse shoes. that had the little 91 with the sun. Uh, but again, basketball just after Michael Jordan, they went through their uh, personality crisis. And... Those years from 98, and even when Jordan came back, it still wasn't the same. So from 90, I would say from 98 to about 2006, and LeBron's in the league, and Carmelo Anthony's in the league, and uh, Dwayne Wade's in the league now, and Dwight Howard, and some of these newer, younger stars are playing now, but it's it's they haven't taken over yet. So you had those thin years in the NBA with Allen Iverson and the aforementioned Stefan Marbury and some of those players, Steve Nash was pretty good in those days, but it was like, it didn't have a good personality with the league. Then the buddy league comes in. And the reason I say buddy league is yes, you're Kevin Durant's, you're LeBron's, you're Carmelo's, you're Dwayne Wade's. They're all buddies because they were raised in AAU basketball. So the days of the bad boy Pistons, of Rick Mahorn and Bill Lambeer putting an elbow into your nose, are gone. Instead, you have these guys who all kind of grew up together. Oak Hill Academy, St. Vincent, St. Mary, all these other schools. And they all played against each other. They all knew each other. They knew they were going to get to that next level, which whether it was high-profile college basketball or going to, right to the pros in those days. So they're not going to get into fights. There's no fist fights. There's no shoving. There's no animosity, and it just that took away a lot of the league for me and my enjoyment of basketball. Tack on analytics, guys are not having face up, high percentage jump shots anymore because of analytics. They look at it and say, why would you take a 16 foot jump shot when you can move back a few feet? And that jump shot, if you make it, is worth one extra point. So now the league is just three-pointers and dunks, three-pointers and dunks, three-pointers and dunks, dunks and three-pointers. It's boring. And not only that, it's, there is basically zero defense that's going on. It's like every game is an all-star game in the NBA. Every game is an all-star game. There were several times in the past two, well, I'll say this past year, That I would look at the NBA scoreboard. I'm not watching any of the games, but I would look at the scoreboard the next day, and every single game was in triple digits. Every game. The worst teams in the league. I don't know who who, who was the worst team in the league last year. I, I, I don't remember. Well, they probably had 111 points, but they lost 130 to 111. You go, wow. So nobody's playing defense. They're just standing around. They don't want to be posterized on a dunk and have that on the Sports Center top 10 the next day. So analytics has really murdered basketball. And then now tack on the politics. Because when the Miami Heat did the Trayvon Martin uh, putting their hoods up in 2013, you're saying, look, I get what you're doing, but it's going to backfire on you it really is and honestly it has the politics have backfired on the nba because as much as their outreach is to young urban communities who are the ones going to the games it's those rich white people that you keep crapping on and talking about white privilege and they're all racist and you say wait a second they're the people who are supporting you so you they're just going to say yeah if I'm going there, I've been supporting you for so many years, and you're going to call me a racist and whatever. Yeah, I'm not going to go see anymore. We're not going to the games. And so the attendance was dropping a lot. And the ratings have just diminished in the NBA. So all of those are factors. And that's one of the reasons. and, And I'll give you one more factor. TV deals. So where I live, the local team, the Cavaliers, uh, their broadcasting partner is Bally Sports, formerly Fox Sports. Bally, We don't get Bally Sports. We have a blackout because my wife and I have YouTube TV and we can't get Bally. So I haven't watched a Cavs game or a Cleveland Indians slash Guardians game in several years. Not that I really want to, but I can't because of TV deals and these greedy TV contracts. So, oh well, guess I'm not going to watch them anymore. Uh, baseball. Now, I have—baseball's my sport. I've really fallen in, in, it it, for like, way off the reservation when it comes to baseball. And it's, again, mainly because of analytics. And mainly—and I think there were a lot of other factors that have played into the analytics and the changing of the baseballs. Now, it's basically come out—they're not really admitting it. They are admitting it, but they're not making it too public that in the last several years, the baseballs were juiced up. Now, what is a juiced up baseball? What, what, what are you talking about? Like, is the baseball on steroids? They inject a needle into the side right underneath the seams? No, what they did is the stitching inside the ball, the strings inside the ball, are wound a little bit tighter than your normal baseballs. So they're wound up really tight to the point where they're like golf balls. So that's why, I'll, I'll always remember this, This was in 2013. The National League leaders in home runs were a... I believe it was 37. I'm I'm pulling this from memory. The leaders in home runs in the league, in the National League, were 37 home runs, which has not really been a thing since the 80s. Since you were seeing guys like uh, former podcast guest Daryl Strawberry or Howard Johnson, Hojo, who also played for the Mets back in the day. Those were players that were getting... They would lead the league in 34 home runs, 38 home runs, maybe 40. God forbid you actually have a guy who hits 40. There was one year in 1987 where a lot of balls were jumping off the bats, and it's kind of come out that eh, were, guys were discovering the Lyle Alzado steroid bug in those early days. So in, the home run totals started kind of going down a little bit by, in the aughts after the whole steroid thing, after the whole, when Raphael Palmero's in front of Congress and pointing his finger going, I did not take steroids. And then sure enough, it's like, yeah, you took steroids. <laughs> and Mark McGuire doing the thing where, you know, they're all lying and Sammy Sosa pretending he doesn't understand English. So baseball kind of went through another identity crisis with that and trying to find so what did they do? They just put their focus on Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter. Instead of looking at younger athletes in those days 10 years ago, like Mike Trout and uh, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, they kind of said, well, uh, Yankee guys. Well, in those days in 2013, who led the league in home runs? was Pedro Alvarez of the Pirates and Paul Goldschmidt, of then of the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks with 37. Well, you notice what happened after that. League leaders were really jumping way up into the 40s and 50s, and who knows? Aaron Judge may finish the season with over 60 home runs. Uh, Maybe a little different, but there were more home runs hit in the last couple of years. I think, uh, of course, 2020 was different, but I believe it was 2017, 2018, and 2019 There were more home runs hit in those years, single years, than there were hit in the previous peak, which was 2000, which was considered the peak of the steroid era. So why is that? Are guys taking steroids? Are they taking performance enhancers? Are guys dieting better and they're taking pre-workouts and other types of non-banned supplements? Like, what's going on? Or is it because the baseballs are juiced? That, they, that Rob Manfred, who took over a few years ago as the commissioner, figured that how are we going to get millennials in the seats? How are we going to put millennial butts in these seats? Oh, millennials, well, we'll, we'll just go with the Earl Weaver thing, and chicks dig the long ball, three-run homers. So instead of those two-to-one pitchers duels, where the you had a base hit in the eighth inning to untie the game, and you know, having really good, solid relief pitching. It's like, no, we need to have 10 to 8 ball games where there's 9 home runs hit between the teams. I don't think that's making for good product. And the analytics show that when you see that certain players are lined up on the field. Now, for, for the record, in baseball, I am a firm believer in the shift. I think if you have a guy who's a right-handed batter. And all he does is pull the ball to the left side. I think you should have everybody, including the first baseman, everybody lined up on that side and force him to hit to the right side. Instead, what does he do? He hits right into the shift and then complains about it and says, oh, it's not fair. Uh, everybody's lined up on that side. and I would. How about this? you hit to the opposite side. And every time I've had this argument with people, they're like, well, here's what happens, is a is going to pitch them inside and jam them and force them to hit that way. If their is pitching inside, how about you not hit the ball? How about you not swing if it's going to be inside, and you force the pitcher to put it out over the plate? It's not that difficult. But apparently these guys are just so one-track-minded. Everybody's a Rob Deere. Everybody wants to be Adam Dunn, where you just essentially have three true outcomes, a walk, a home run, or a strikeout. Look at Joey Gallo. I always mention Joey Gallo because he's, he was the perfect example, a guy that would hit 180 for the year, but would hit 35, 40 home runs. Well, what happens? He's a left-handed guy. Everybody would line up on the right side of the field and he would hit directly into the shift when he would make contact, and then guys like him would complain. So instead of going, hey, maybe I'll just dink right down the left field line, and I get a double every single time until they start moving that side, he's just going to continue trying to hit over the shift. And when I say over the shift, I mean over the shift and over the wall. And that's where analytics have killed the game, where they're talking about launch angle. They're talking about BABIP. Batting average on balls in play, if you ever wanted to know what that means. They're so focused on flip and whip and war wins above replacement, <clears throat> instead of what I think you should be focused on is a high batting average. Hit and run, strategy. There is no strategy. I, I, I Legitimately, I'm going to look this up right now. I'm recording this on Sunday the 28th. I want to look at MLB stats right now. So let's see the batting average leader right now is Paul Goldschmidt, the aforementioned Paul Goldschmidt now with the Cardinals hitting 339. So he's leading the National League. The American League is Luis Arias, who's hitting 319, which is not a very high average. And I don't know who he is. Who's leading in hits? Trey Turner uh, from the Dodgers 159, and Freddie Freeman also of the Dodgers 159. Home runs. yeah, Aaron judge has 49 as of this recording. And then the second place is Kyle Schwarber with 35, way down the list. Uh, but I want to look up one thing that's interesting. Stolen bases. Uh, I don't recognize a lot of these guys right now. So the league leader in stolen bases as of Sunday, the 28th of August, is John Bertie, B-E-R-T-I, who plays for the Miami Marlins. He leads the league. Now, It's we're almost in September with 31 stolen bases. Conceivably, he could finish the year maybe with 40, maybe 35. We'll see. Who knows? Who knows how Marlins will be down the road or if uh, injuries, I don't know. Then the American League leader now is 28. At this point, Ricky Henderson, 40 years ago in 1982, was hitting 100 stolen bases. Not, it's, it's not even going to be close. So Jorge Mateo, 28 stolen bases. Number three is Cedric Mullins, 27 stolen bases. Tommy Edmond is fourth in the Major League in stolen bases with 26. And then number five, also at 26, is Bobby Witt Jr. I remember his dad. This is pathetic. This is pathetic that's happening in Major League Baseball. And it's because of analytics. They're not laying down bunts anymore. They're not doing situational hitting. It's all about, we need to hit the three-run homer. Get guys on base. So the way they look at it, this is the problem with Major League Baseball. And it's going to trickle down into college and the the minor leagues and all the way down probably for sixth graders who are playing travel ball during the summer. They say, well, look, when you are doing a sacrifice bunt, when you're laying down a bunt right now, I... uh, you're conceding an out for the most part. The the chances, I mean, maybe in little leagues, you you probably bunt out a lot of hits, but when you have pro guys and you put a bunt down the first or third baseline, you're basically conceding that you're going to get out. And a lot of the pro analytics crowd, the Sabermetrics crowd says, yeah, we're not going to concede an out. So due to analytics now, players and general managers and all the other bean counters feel it's better to strike out than to bunt. That it's better to have an attempt at hitting a three-run homer than it is to bunt the guy. The, the guys around first and second, and if you bunt them over to second and third, you say, well, you're already conceding it out. What if you do make contact and you hit it over the fence? It's a three-run homer. Forget the bunt now, right? That's ruining baseball. It's absolutely ruining baseball. It's it and it's Neanderthal. It's 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 like anybody can manage that. It's not that difficult. Let's see, should we bunt here? No, we'll just send up a guy and see if he can hit a home run. I can manage it. My my two cats can manage Major League baseball at this point. On top of now the pitchers can't bat anymore in the National League. Everything's DH. So now you have a universal DH in Major League Baseball. So there is no situation. Like, what does a DH do? A DH has three to four at-bats a game. He sits in the batting cages for a while. And uh, that's it. He's like, he'll go up there and he'll either hit a home run or strike out or maybe he'll single, whatever. But let's say he doesn't. Let's say he pops out, pops out to shortstop. Then he goes back in the dugout and goes back in the batting cage and hits until his next time to hit. So he's a designated hitter. It, there's no strategy to the designated hitter. It's like, hey, uh, DH, what—and uh, <clears throat> this? And by the way, this is why I don't think any designated hitter. If you're going to make a case, okay, maybe David Ortiz in the Hall of Fame, but not Edgar Martinez, not uh, Don Baylor, not any of these DHs from back in the day. No, 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 not happening for me. It's not that difficult to strategize that there is there's virtually no strategy that goes on in, especially hitting maybe with pitching and you say okay this guy see you see this guy is um, his batting average is pretty high uh, because uh, he plays he you know he's been hitting 434 against blue-eyed, left-handed pitchers who throw under 92 miles an hour with their fastball, uh, but only on days where it's overcast and not sunny. What? How about the fact that, has the guy faced him before? What's his average? Okay, well, then, then you play by those percentages. And by the way, I say this about any type of sport when it comes to analytics. If you have the data in front of you, I'm fine with using that. But I also believe in the eye test, that you can't just have a bunch of bean counters and number crunchers, some Harvard guys sitting in your front office and going, well, our statistics show, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you should also have somebody who's played the game before to say, hey, guys, I, I get that. I appreciate it. I will look over what you have given me. But I also have played the game. I know what's going on. I can see that. You guys haven't played sports since you played soccer when you were in fifth grade. I've played in the NFL. I've played in the Major League Baseball. I've played in the NBA. Let me handle that. You give me the, the stats and the data and everything, and then we'll have a nice, happy medium here. You can't just be full on one side or another where you're going to have old-time scouts who don't care about analytics. Then you're, Then you're a dinosaur, but also at the same time, you probably should also have somebody who has played the game and can pass that eye test. And I think some organizations have fallen in love with the statistics. They saw Moneyball from 20, and they read the book from 20 years ago, and they thought, gosh, ma-, and, and, and by the way, here's another thing. On the topic of Moneyball. why <clears throat> Moneyball was so detrimental to small to medium-sized market teams. And it allowed the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Giants and all these – you're really not getting a lot of – like every so often you have a Kansas City Royals won the World Series or you have like a, a, another team that, you know, it was a rags-to-riches story. But for the most part, these are teams that have well over $100 million payrolls per year. And Moneyball was so detrimental in the aughts, in my opinion – that it allowed teams like Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Kansas City, Milwaukee to let their good talent go, and then they used justification like on-base percentage to say, no, see, uh, you know, in our statistics show, kind of like what happened with the, the Oakland A's, Oh, so the A's won 22 games in a row back in 2002. They, oh, what, what what a great run that was. They made it into a movie with uh, Brad Pitt and, uh, and Jonah Hill, and you had uh, Chris Pine as playing Scott Hatterberg. And you say, see, see, here's the thing. It's like we have Jason Giambi, who's the MVP, but we let him go to free agency. But we feel, our, see, our statistics show that Scott Hatterberg and Carlos Pena, and I forgot the other guy, <clears throat> You put them in the lineup, their on-base percentage is higher than Jason Giambi's. So that's a justification. Well, what happened? Giambi goes to the Yankees. As a multi-time All-Star, of course, doing some steroids too, but wins a World Series in 2009. Everything uh, seemed, seemed pretty good. Actually, no, he wasn't on that team, was he? But he, he was pretty successful with the Yankees in those days. Uh, conversely, what have the Oakland A's done? What has the moneyball... <clears throat> uh, Billy Bean, Oakland Athletics done in the last, since 1989. They, they went to the playoffs, they got swept by the Cincinnati Reds in 1990. Then they went back in 92 with a pretty scrappy team with Dave Stewart and, uh, Carney Lansford. It was his last year and a bunch of other guys. They traded Jose Canseco halfway through the season, but, uh, They went to the ALCS in those days, and they haven't been close since then. They've made a few playoff appearances over the years during the Moneyball era, but the best they got is they went to the ALCS in 2006 and got swept by the Tigers. Maglior Ordonez hit a home run, walk-off home run, and send the Tigers to the World Series in 06. And the Oakland A's haven't even come close to that since then. And you're going to tell me that that's the trend in baseball? No, it's garbage. It's all garbage. It was just a a justification for small market teams to stay on the cheap. And George Steinbrenner has come out and said, look, with this luxury tax, I'm paying for teams to just sit on their butts and do nothing during the trading deadline, during free agency, where you have a team like Pittsburgh. I I always make this example. PNC Park, I I haven't been to San Francisco, but PNC Park is my favorite ballpark that I've been to in in all of Major League Baseball. Gorgeous skyline. Uh, great sight lines, great opportunity to see a game. So the Pirates know that. And they know people are going to come in as people like me from out of town who want to go see a game. And it's, a again, a beautiful stadium. So they sell their team on the stadium. Not the team. Like, they don't sell the fans how good their team is and the, the talent they have they sell it on the fact that you can get a, an Iron City beer at the stadium and you get some pierogies and s- bratwurst. You say, yeah, but what about the team? It's like, you see the skyline in the background? Look, at there's the Penn Building and there's uh, you know, the Roberto Clemente Bridge. It's like, yeah, that's great. No, it's a cool stadium. What about the team? Yeah, but we also have, you should try this beer over in uh, Section uh, uh, 138. There's a great craft beer place. You really got to try that. Yes, that's cool, but what about the team? And that's with the pirates. The pirates have continued to play cheap. I mean, they, they, well, they make two playoff appearances since 1992, and they didn't really get far. They didn't really do much in those playoffs. So, that's another reason why I've been soured on baseball is the increased analytics, and uh, it just, I, I, just don't like the direction it's in. So let's get to football. Now, college football. Why don't I? Why, college football starts up this week I was just watching it yesterday and will be a college game day in Columbus coming up on Saturday uh, ahead of the Notre Dame Ohio State game but why am I not the biggest college football guy like I used to yeah I would get up at 8 59 watch college game day for three hours and you know it's it's eleven fifty eight. who's Lee Corso gonna pick what mascot helmet and head is he gonna put on First of all, I got. I I have to say this. I'm going to be very nice about this, but Lee Corso has to go. It's it's time. It's absolutely time for Lee Corso. Uh, he is Joe Biden level of gone right now. I, look, I I like the guy, but he can't string a sentence together. It's it's not. It, it's it's like Dick Clark in the New Year's Rock and Eve after the stroke. It, you just have him do a couple of minutes and he picks a couple of games and he puts his mascot helmet on, but that's it. No more Lee Corso, please. It's it's getting uncomfortable. It's, it's like sending Grandpa back to the factory after he's ret- been retired for 10 years. It's not fun. Uh, the whole thing with college football, now that they're making money, now that they have this opportunity to make money and, and money off their license— can we stop with the? Oh, we're trying to. I was just watching the Catholics vs. Convicts 30 for 30. And when Lou Holtz, under this whole thing, like, no, we'll go and try to get the best people together. And uh, I don't know why I sound like uh, Baba Buoy, but Lou Holtz was trying to get the best uh, athletes, but also academically, they're good in the classroom. Does anybody even think about when these guys are actually studying and if what kind of grades they're getting? No, because college football is nothing more than the minor leagues for the NFL. That's all it is. It's the minor leagues of the NFL. So nobody cares about grades. They have. I know this on good authority, by the way. I've, I've known a few college athletes in my day, and I've known people who have worked with college athletes. Uh, I'm not going to say the I'm not going to say the player's name, but I have a I know somebody who used to take his tests for him. He was a he he was a NFL player, longtime player who just retired recently. And when he was in college, he would walk in with the sports page, sit on his desk, and just read the stats of, of the other college football teams, and just go through that while somebody is taking his tests for him. And then they can say, "Oh, well, you know, he's a four-point student." It's like, yeah, because I know the person who's pretty smart taking that test for him, and nobody says anything. Wonder if his debt was forgiven? All that ten grand that he got. Who knows? But uh, yeah, guys are getting uh, college football. Here's my biggest beef with college football or the super conferences. That what we en- what I enjoyed growing up was. You had a couple of independent teams like Notre Dame, and when I was growing up, Penn State was still independent before they joined the Big Ten. The Big Ten does not have ten teams anymore. I remember there was a conference called the, the Big Eight, <laughs> not the Big 12, and not, uh, not the Pac-12, and all these, these super conferences have ruined everything. And the, uh, the opportunity where, if you look in history, I believe Princeton was the first team to win a, a college football championship. Princeton. Will Princeton ever win a college football championship in Division one? Never. And you notice that the trend, it's SEC teams. It's it, you're going to get Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Alabama, Alabama, Alabama. It's over and over again. Then go jumped over to college basketball. Everybody loves the, oh, we got the tournament. Oh, well, don't you love March Madness? That's when we're all getting our vasectomies so we could sit around and watch March Madness all day. That's great. And you you pick a couple of upsets. You say, oh, you know, that that, uh, 15 seed knocked off the two seed. Isn't that great? But who ultimately wins the national title every year? It's Duke. It's North Carolina. It's Kentucky. It's the same teams. So when we think there's a form of parity... It's really not. It's the same couple of teams that are winning in college football and college basketball. And the cream will always rise to the top. And now that you're paying athletes, it's going to continue staying that way. So now we go on to the NFL. And I mentioned about Deshaun Watson. <clears throat> and we've talked about this on our podcast with Chad Zumok and Ken Mosca, the Rack Me podcast. we got to do one this week, I think, about the morality in football. Now, this is a sport that, the helmet, the thing that you use to protect yourself, is also the weapon that you can use against your opponent. Isn't that weird? You don't really have the, the, your safety net also be used as your weapon. It's really odd. Then you have guys that are having problems, whether financially or with their women a lot of abuse that's been happening and that we've heard about over the years. We just had that uh, the punter for the Bills just got released. Um, what's the precedent that gets set in football? Well, in football, up until 2014, when I mentioned about Ray Rice, it was, yeah, these guys have head injuries. We don't really know what they're doing, and uh, they don't know what they're doing. So what do you expect? What do you expect? you expect anything more than these? And then people said, yeah, actually, we do kind of a- expect a little more, and to have a little bit more respect for women, and for property, and for their fellow man. And I got really soured, because I'm somebody, I love football. I like alpha culture and everything, but also there's also a lot of morons in football, football fans. I mean, I, I, I always, I bring this example up all the time. When I saw what was going on at Penn State, in 2011, when the Sandusky news was coming out, when they found out Jerry Sandusky was was molesting children, and not just recently, for decades, and how much did the compliance office, how much did Joe Paterno know about that? His coach, who was supposed to be the heir apparent, there they thought, oh, Joe Pa's going to retire at some point, and Jerry Sandusky of linebacker U is going to take over and be the head coach at Penn State. Then he abruptly retires in 1999 and no one knew what was going on. It's like, wow, I thought this guy was going to be the heir apparent. Oh, well, but he's been running these football camps all around Pennsylvania, helping kids. What was he doing? He was molesting them. I mean, this is, this was horrible. So what did Penn state fans do? They went out in protest against the media who was covering this. They were flipping TV trucks because the media came there after when they fired Joe Pa based on what he knew or what he didn't know or supposedly knew or whatever. And you had these moron fans come out there because what's more important, the lives of human beings or winning football games? Not far from me, about a little over an hour away, is Steubenville, Ohio. There was a whole rape case that was going on. And it got swept under the rug because in a small town, Midwestern town in southeastern Ohio on the banks of the Ohio River, they cared more about winning games and that culture than they did about human lives. So then you have situations like Deshaun Watson, and I gotta say, I I've, as you've heard me in earlier in the podcast, I grew up with the Browns. I've covered the Browns for a number of years. Uh, I don't cover teams anymore, obviously, not just because I'm not really in media anymore, but because of COVID that they started doing a lot of virtual stuff. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'm not going to get a credential uh, to sit in a press box wearing a mask the whole time. And the questions are still going to be asked virtually. Yeah, no, not going to happen. But the Browns had Baker Mayfield, who had a bad season in his fourth year, coming off a playoff appearance, and he got hurt in week two. It just wasn't really the same. And instead of... Saying that he need to kind of bow out and go get uh, go get surgery or go get it taken care of, he played the whole season, and it just it hurt the team even more. And they played him. He played his way out of town, and they Jimmy Haslam, the owner, essentially bought slave like, in my opinion, Deshaun Watson. They bought his innocence. That's what they tried to do. They tried to buy his not guilty plea, and they gave him this massive like $230 million contract, guaranteed money and draft picks and this and that from Texas, or for the Houston Texans, I should say. And he's going to be suspended 11 games because he was going to massage parlors and forcing his way into getting, you know, happy endings and everything. And I, I see Browns fans that are justifying it by saying he didn't do anything wrong. And if anything, you blame Houston. Yeah, I do blame Houston. I also blame the Browns for being, putting themselves in this situation. This isn't an only in Cleveland thing. When they say, oh, it's the Cleveland curse. How did this happen? This only happens in Cleveland. No, you put this on yourselves, you morons. You have to live with it. And there's a possibility this team goes 2-9 and nine by the time he steps on the field, and your playoff chances are done. And there's no guaranteeing he's going to win the next six games. It just feels dirty. Sports just does not feel the same anymore for me. Football, college football, pro football, NBA basketball, college basketball, baseball, even hockey to a certain extent. I'm not the biggest hockey guy. Like, I don't really, not the biggest stat nerd when it comes to hockey, but it just, it's not enjoyable. Now, is this because I am somebody that, uh, where it's like, it, if I had kids, cause that's the one thing I've noticed in the last couple of years during COVID is I have watched more games from the 1992 season than the 2022 season for anything. I've watched the last dance like eight times now, the Michael Jordan documentary. Why? Cause in my opinion, sports were more fun back then. And I was also younger. Is it because sports really were more fun? They were more competitive? There was more on the line? Or is it because I was a child? And is it like how when you're a kid, Christmas means more to you at eight years old than when you're 28? And does Christmas mean more again when you finally have kids? So then it's like, oh, so now I'm living vicariously through my kids about Santa Claus and the Christmas tree and presents and setting the mood during Christmas. So is that going to be what it's like for me with sports? Is that if I have kids and my kids get into sports, then I'm going to fall back in love with sports again? I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. So I'm wondering if other people are in the same boat. And then during COVID, I say this. When you had teams that were, the seasons were delayed And then they were uh, putting Black Lives Matter on the football fields and end racism and this and that. And you would have players who have the IQ uh, of like an IQ of like 62 were lecturing me on racism and systemic racism and this and that. I don't want to hear that. I really don't. And uh, a lot of people didn't either, and they tuned out. So I I said it actually two years ago today. I'm going to pull this up in my time hop. I had it here somewhere. And I thought it was kind of fascinating. Um where is that? I'm pulling it up right now. But, uh bear with me here. So I was, I was about to join a couples bowling league. <laughs> okay, here it is. I said, I used to lampoon beer league slow pitch softball, but especially this year I've truly fallen into it. For those two and a half hours on the field, I don't think about the virus, talking about COVID, civil unrest, politics, nothing else but softball. I encourage everyone to take up a sport or a hobby. Join a softball league, take up bowling, learn a craft, pick up a guitar, uh, expand your mind, try something of value. And no, internet porn and masturbation are not hobbies. And I still believe that. I got so much more enjoyment two years ago. It was, the, it was one thing that really got me through the lockdowns and COVID and the insanity and the mask wearing and the social distancing was an opportunity to play in a, on a softball field with friends and having a couple of beers in the dugout and just enjoying ourselves. It got really got me through it. I, that's when I started playing tournament softball because it was really competitive. We were outside. None of us got COVID because we were all socially distanced from each other in the field, and we were getting fresh air, we were getting exercise. That's what you should be doing. Do that. And I, got, I had so much more fun that I forgot about pro sports. While they're sitting over there lecturing you about wearing masks and then eventually getting vac- vaccinated, I'm over here going, yeah, okay, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, it's hook, lefty. And everybody has to kind of shift on the field to where you think a lefty's going to hit. Because that's what I I cared way more about that than I did about pro sports. So will that ever return? Will I ever feel that way when I was a kid of getting getting the opportunity to fall in in love with sports again where I'm pouring over stat sheets, I'm buying trading cards, and... And, and looking at their uh, like what they bring to the table. and uh, Free agency, when it's NFL free agency time in March, and you're sitting there going, all right, we're on the clock, or MLB trade deadline day. It's, oh, it's the end of July. Who who are they going to go after? Who's going to be the big trades? Or am I just going to watch Columbo again, like I've been doing the last couple of years? I watch old episodes of, uh, oh, God, what was I watching recently? I, think I was watching, like, The Monsters or something. I, I Pluto TV, so I get to watch it. No, it was the Beverly Hillbillies. I was watching a marathon of the Beverly Hillbillies. I'm like, there are pro sports playing right now, and I'm watching an episode from 1967. <laughs> so I've lost that love and feeling for sports. Will it return? I don't know. Will it return if I have kids? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe. I, maybe I'll fall in love with my kids' sports, and I still don't care about regular teams. Who knows? But it's my waning love of sports. It's not that I dislike the sport itself. I love basketball. I I just hate the NBA. I love baseball. I love softball. I'm just not a big fan of major league baseball. I love football, but the NFL has its share of problems that they need to fix, and I I don't see it getting fixed in any time soon. So, What's it going to take? I'm truly wondering that. All right, I'm going to wrap up this podcast right now. I just wanted to kind of get that out there because I, I want to know if anyone else feels the same way. If they're watching and they don't get that feeling where they're waking up at the crack of dawn on Sunday to get ready for uh, NFL game day and they're DVRing some of the other games, and they've got the red zone on or Major League Baseball outside of... Uh, People aren't even watching the World Series or All-Star Game anymore, but that opening game when everybody gets drunk on the home opener or opening day, whatever it is, or basketball, you know, the playoffs last like six months. <laughs> is anybody else in my boat, or am I just kind of talking out of my rear end right now? I Who knows? So I, I, I wanted to throw this out there about my waning love of sports because I just feel that... There are so many different options nowadays. And I think this is, the, this is my last point I'm going to make. I think we watched sports collectively because it was a communal feel in the day. It was a communal feel. We all kind of got together because at 7 o'clock, you knew that your team was going to play. And then on the weekends, it was 1 o'clock, you'd watch your team from 1 to 4. And maybe you go out, like, make sure the lawn's done by noon so you can come back inside in the air conditioning and watch your favorite baseball team. But now we have different options. If, if I'm watching games from 1992, from 30 years ago, as opposed to today, it means we have so many different options for entertainment that it's not necessary to have appointment television to watch and sit back and consume sporting events anymore. And again, I think football is different because it's a certain time of the year and it's usually one day a week that your team is playing. Not six to seven days a week. Not four to five. One day. They play one day, sometimes two if they have a Thursday night game, but, and then they don't play again for 10 days. So it's kind of interesting. It's very interesting. So I just want to know if anyone else kind of feels the same way I do when it comes to the uh, waning love of professional sports or just sports in general. All right. I want to thank everyone for listening to this podcast, Uh, more podcasts like this, or when I talk more politics or social stuff, or stand-up comedy, and talk about all that. Uh, that's all on the Check Your Brain podcast on my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony mazer. I thank you folks for listening and subscribing if you are, and if you're not, I hope you're a future subscriber for five bucks a month, patreon.com slash Tony mazer. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you fine folks later on this week. Thank you.